Awesome. Uh, no, it's, wow, it's really been awesome so far. I just, uh, I have to say, uh, just uh, call to worship, the, the worship music, the, 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 the catechism, just, uh, just talking about the promises of God and kind of like, really for me, just kind of the time in between when God gives a promise and fulfills the promise. Um, and kind of that time in between is that time where we can draw close to Him and, uh, and kind of strengthen that relationship that He wants with us. Uh, you know, when we're talking about uh, the time uh, uh, of the cross, you know, God promises a redeemer in the garden, and God waited thousands of years for, for that to fulfill in the time in between that. And now creation groans and wants, you know, wants uh, to be completed by, by, by the coming of God. Right? So um, we're going to actually talk a little bit more about that. So I'm just really excited to be in it. Um, so we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, uh, verses 7 through 13. Um, I want you to flip there and we'll pray. It's okay, it's me to do I. 
But um, we didn't know each other. Like, uh, like I said, he's, he had dedicated thousands of pages, 17 years ago, he went along from the next. Uh, and you know, I, all I knew about him was stuff I read, heard his sermons, you know, uh, Pastor Chuck, but I couldn't tell you anything more about him either. Um, there were, um, one meeting, the point being that one meeting doesn't make a relationship, right? It's, it's getting involved with each other and having those, those conversations and, 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 and helping each other and being there for each other. Um, so when we're talking about what the disciples are going to do, now. They're going to go out and going to represent Jesus. Jesus is sending them out as his emissaries. And um, if, if he had done this from day one, they, they wouldn't have known what to do. It's now one and a half years later that actually they're being sent out. So they've had one and a half years of 100% Jesus time. And now we're, now we're right there. So remember, six, seven, six, and then called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over our moving spirits. So the first thing he does is he calls them to him. Uh, he's uh, going to fulfill the promise that he made to them the first time that they met. So uh, when he first called them, uh, he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers with men. Well, that's, that's right now, right? Because between then and there, um, this is now when they're going to be sent out and do this. When he said, follow me, they didn't have any details, right? They dropped everything. Uh, at least seven of them were fishermen on the tax collectors. Um, you know, they dropped everything at that point and knew that Jesus was the right thing to do, but they didn't know how they were going to get to the end. He said, "Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men." So he said he would change them. He would make them into this thing, but he doesn't give them a timeline for it. situation, I'd say, that's cool, I'll follow you, but first thing I look up, like, what this means. I'd be, you know, uh, some of you know I'm trying to buy a motorcycle, so I've been watching all these tons and tons of YouTube videos, like, uh, top ten things that all new motorcycles do, so that I could, if, if I were to decide, I'd be like, these are the five best gear pieces that disciples need, or, or you won't believe what this disciple did, you know, just like, I'd be all over trying to do this research and trying to find out, am I going to do this right, am I going to fail, am I going to do all this? But you know, Jesus is saying, look, it's on me to make you into this thing. So the plan that Jesus obviously has is to have them follow him. That's what they have to do. They have to build that relationship to, to bring them to the point where uh, the, uh, they know him and he knows them uh, intimately. Uh, the point being that if we trust in Jesus to fulfill the promises he's given to us, we have to trust him with our time. Um, I'll say that again. If we trust in Jesus to fulfill the promises that he gives to us, we have to trust him with the time of those promises. Uh, a few times in my life, I've, I've actually I've prayed for things you know, desperately before the Lord, you know, kidding me. Uh, and a few times the answer has been yes, but not now. And I've had to go with that answer for many years, sometimes. Um, but the, the, the sweetest thing is that time in between, because now I know that God has promised.
and now I can just stop worrying about it. And every time the word comes up, I can say, God, you promised this thing. This is yours. Right now, I'm going to follow you. So the next time that Jesus brings this up is one and a half years later. Actually, Mark 3, um, where he appoints them to be apostles. He's in 3.14, he says, And he appointed the twelve, whom also he named apostles, so that they might, uh, so that they might be with him, and he might, be, he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So now we have the promise, and now we're getting more details. They're given a, a task, you know, they're given a job title at least, uh, and a task, but they're still going to be waiting. There's still more time in between. They're, they're appointed uh, emissaries, they're given the command to, to, to preach, they're given the authority to cast out demons. Apostle literally means sent out one, so it's, it's, it's a bit weird to think that, okay, you're, you're an apostle, you're going to be sent out, but just wait. So, again, if I heard that, I'd be like, okay, cool, I'm gone. Wait, where are we going? Jesus was like, you're going to be sent out, but I'm going to be the one who sends you. So even now, you have more details. Things are looking right. This is the right thing. Jesus is still going to have them wait in between. So they don't start preaching. They don't start casting down out demons immediately. They're waiting on the Lord still. And then uh, a lot of times when, when it comes to our own lives, when we're um, trying to find a clear picture, what should I do? Where should I go? Who should I be? You know, we go to the Lord and ask these questions. You know, am I doing the right thing? Am I, I, I don't want to make a mistake with my life choices. Um, clarity for the disciples and what they were doing came entirely from following Jesus. Um, the more the, um, the more they followed him, the more truth that he laid out for them in their lives. The, a lot of times we can get hung up on, I didn't know what I'm called to do. Am I, am I where I'm called to be? Uh, the truth is that the call is to God, and it's always to God. Wherever you are in your life, the call is to God. Um, Oswald Chambers put it this way. He says, the call of God is not a call to a particular service. Although my interpretation of the call may be uh, a particular service. Um, the call to a service is an echo of my identification with God. My contact with the nature of God has made me realize what I can do for God. It's because of the calls to God that I can be, uh, I can be an engineer for God. Because I don't like building Bible software. Um, I don't like uh, websites for Christians. I, you know, all these things. I'm an engineer, but I can do this for God because my call is to God. And as, as I draw close to him, he changes me into what he wants. That leads into everything I do. Should I be serving in the children's ministry? Should I be, uh, you know, what should I do in the church? You know, am I doing anything well? Go to God. And, and listen, Isaiah, when he gets a vision of God on, on, the, on the throne, you know, God is looking around and says, who can we send? And Isaiah says, send me. You know, I, God doesn't say, Isaiah, I want you to go do this thing. He's saying, who can be sent? It's because Isaiah is close to God that he knows what to do next. So in verse 7, we're told that they go two by two in Paris. I don't know exactly why they, why they have to go in Paris. It's, it's 
pretty interesting, but you, you could make the argument that uh, Jewish law required two eyewitnesses to, to corroborate something, to say that like, this really happened. So there's, there's the possibility that as they went to these places, um, they could, uh, the two by two, they could lay out the evidence and say, yes, Jesus really did this thing. Yes, we are to repent the kingdom of heaven is now. Um, another, another possibility is that uh, Jesus was concerned that the disciples would have fellowship in their journey, companionship, somebody to, somebody to go out with. So there's that, uh, there's that possibility as well. He also gives them authority over, over demons, over unclean spirits. Jesus knows there will be spiritual opposition to, where, to them going on. He's been facing it through this entire time. The disciples have seen him facing it this entire time. And as they go out, they're going to see it as well. Um, Jesus is building an invasion force, really. You can kind of think of this uh, as there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and Jesus is sending his apostles to rescue people from the kingdom of darkness. And so they need the authority to step out on that. And Jesus has the authority to give. So continuing in Mark, we see what preparations, what preparations they're supposed to make. In uh, 8 through 10, it says, he charged them to take nothing for their journey except the staff and the bread and the bag. No money in their belts, but they wear sandals, not to put on two tunics, so only one tunic. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if a place will not receive you, they, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust of your, that is on your feet as a testimony against them. They're told not to bring food, a bag, or money. The bag would have been to collect money. So itinerant preachers at the time would have gone, gone around and asked for money, you know, pay funds for, for us because this is our job. But they said that Jesus says, don't take any of that. Which is kind of weird. Uh, you know, we took our kids to Mount St. Helens in the fall, uh, and we threw them in, in the minivan, and we had at least three like, huge sacks of snacks and stuff to keep them maybe entertained. I'm sure, I'm not sure. But uh, we had a case of water, we had everything. And this was just like a three hour ride. I mean, these guys are actually going to go. Out and they're going to have nothing. So, so again, Jesus is saying, go out, preach. Here's the authority. Take nothing. Jesus is stripping them of everything they could, they could possibly rely on other than him. No way to provide, no way to buy, no way to, to continue. They've got to go. They're, they're going to land in, in, in these towns. They're going to need somebody to sponsor them, essentially, to come and stay in my house. Um, so the reason that they're told to stay in one house uh, is because preachers of the time, uh, if, they, if people became famous, if famous people came to the town, or the pastor of the reputation started to change, there was a chance for them to move up socially in the ladder, so they'd go to one house. Oh, this, this house has a pool, I'm going to go to that house. They probably didn't have tools back then, but um, not in houses at least. Uh, but uh, they would, there would be a chance for them to move up socially more comfortable. But Jesus is saying, well, I'm going to put, I'm going to have a place for you, and that's going to be the place that you're going to stay. And from there, 
the ministry is going to work. And don't, don't do anything that you think you should do other than preach, heal, cast out demons, these things. It's interesting, um, this isn't the first time that Jesus is going to send out the disciples in Luke. We actually have two times that they're sent out. Uh, and in, the second, in Luke, actually 70 of them go out, not just the 12. Uh, so the, the audience expands. But, um, one of the things in Luke is mentioned, in, uh, actually, Jesus at the Last Supper, uh, when he's referring to this time, uh, he says, uh, in Luke 22, 35, says, and he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And the response was, and they, uh, and they said nothing. Not that they didn't say anything, but they said nothing, they lied to nothing. Um, because they, they trusted God. Now, Jesus, this is at the Last Supper, so to continue the scene, he says, okay, now I need to take things, because I'm going away. But for now, for this example, they, God proved that he was enough. Uh, and so as we are waiting on the Lord, you know, in our in-between times, as we're sent out, it's all got to be relying and built upon, relying upon God for God to provide. So Jesus also tells them in this passage how to deal with rejection. Uh, it says, shake out the dust of your feet. That would be kind of the same things as I wash my hands in the situation. He says, you know, if they reject it, it's not you they're rejecting. It's me, is what he's saying. If they reject it, your job is to go out and preach. My job is to make it into something. You know, God's word will not return void, right? Faith comes by hearing him, but the word of God, right? So if that's what you're preaching, if that's what you're saying, if that's what you're spreading, then any rejection of that is between the person who's not listening and God. So, they, uh, they shouldn't really expect uh, auditoriums with applause and, and all these other things. They should just go forward and uh, do uh, obediently a follow. They've seen Jesus actually be rejected, which is kind of the crazy thing, right? You think, well, you know, how many times have you had a conversation with people where they say, you know, hey, if God would just like turn this water into wine, I'd believe in it. Or if this would happen, I would believe in it. Well, they had that. Jesus showed up, he's healing people. He's, uh, he's, he's casting out demons. And some people are responding with, well, he's, he's demon possessed. Well, he's, he's this. Or even just before this, uh, earlier uh, in Mark 6, Jesus shows up to his hometown, preaches, and, and, and he says, they say they don't want to listen to him. He's like, aren't you the, the boy that grew up? Like, who are you? And they wouldn't receive what he said. So he does this. He, he, he does a little and he goes on and continues to preach. He's marvels at that unbelief, but he continues on. So with these instructions, the apostles head out. Uh, it says, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons, and anointed with oil many who were sick, and healed them. So again, the preparation, the promises of Jesus, they're all being fulfilled here. They're, they're being fishers and they're going out, they're preaching, and they're doing the power of God, they're doing it without anything but God. And, uh, so he's providing everything. So Jesus gives them the power to 
spiritual, physical, anything that would, that would get in the way. The only thing that gets in the way right, is people's unbelief. So this is this section is really kind of a, a what we call a mark sandwich, right? So if we want to know what happened next, we kind of have to look ahead. And if you guys want to look down and look at 6:30, uh, kind of to get the, the return part. Mark Mark does this several times throughout his gospel where uh, he'll start a story, he'll stop it, tell a seemingly unrelated story, and then finish the, the first story. Uh, and they're, they're related, but really uh, it feels different. So in 30, at the end of this, it says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that uh, they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And Luke, it talks about the 70 returning. It says they returned in joy. They were amazed at the things that they were doing. It says that even the demons are listening to us. And you know, that part's like, yeah, Jesus told them this would happen. Uh, and he says, you know, I, I, seen, I saw Satan fall down from heaven. So I, that doesn't amaze me. What you guys need to be amazed at is that your names are in the book of life. Your names are written in heaven. Right? That's the miracle. That's the thing that, um, that Jesus wants them to, to, to focus on. I love that Jesus takes them and says, okay, now let's go, let's go take a break. So he's concerned with their uh, physical well-being as well. Um, the, the thing is that with, uh, as you read Mark, you realize it's a very fast-paced book, so they're going to continue on, and immediately uh, another amazing miracle is going to happen, and they're not going to have very much time to break. But Jesus is still trying to take them away, set them aside, and say, now let's recover. Let's, let's, let's have peace here. So at the heart of the law, uh, Jesus wants a relationship with us. And that requires that we remember that to draw close to him, to follow him. Uh, if, if he's given you any promises or anything that you're holding on to, I just want to encourage you guys just, just to grasp onto those and uh, draw as close to Jesus as you can. There, it doesn't matter if you're, if, you're not, if, you're, if you're not a Christian, there's a promise here. Jesus died for you, and he wants to, wants, he promises, uh, he, he is the promise to, to rescue you. If you, if you are a Christian, if you're a new Christian, then Jesus, Jesus is promising that he's going to make you and as you draw close to him. If, you, if you've got a vision for what you're going to do or who you're going to be or where you're going to go and, and Jesus, God is saying, yes, but not now, hold on to that promise and just draw close to him. And if you're in the middle of it and you're stepping out forward, doing these things, draw close to Jesus. So as we, uh, as we uh, call up the, uh, the worship team, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna open the time up for communion and, uh, and prayer, uh, and just wanted to uh, just invite you, if you are a Christian today, that, uh, that the communion is, uh, is here for you, the table is open. Uh, it's meant not only to 
remind us of the sacrifice of God, so of Jesus. So a lot of times uh, we can take the communion and just think, oh man, I'm such a terrible human being that Jesus died for me. Yes, that's, that's true. But there's also a lot of joy in here because the promise is laid out that, that this was for you and he's making you into um, something new. And just the encouragement is as you take the, take the communion, also remember that God is working in you and he wants that relationship with you. Dear Lord, I just want to come before and just lift up once again this morning to you. I want to thank you so much, Lord, just for the chance to to look at uh, what you've done in our lives, or what you did in the, in the disciples' lives, or what you took them from fishing, who were focused on on one thing, or just extended to to focus on um, what they could do for you, or to do close to you, to change.